You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. We are kind of in that season right now in southern Indiana where we experience all four seasons in a given week. Right? right now, it's a week where you could wear shorts and a t-shirt on Wednesday and then maybe have to cancel church because of snow on Sunday. And I know that because that's what I did this week. On Wednesday, when we were doing some painting, uh, I was wearing an old pair of shorts and a t-shirt, and it was comfortable to be outside in that. And now we've got snow fall on outside. In southern Indiana, we kind of go through this season where spring starts and stops and winter starts again, and it keeps going back and forth. And something that I've always thought is such a strange tradition here in America is we have Groundhog Day, which is supposed to give us some kind of indication of how long winter is actually going to last. And if the groundhog pops out of his hole and he sees his shadow, that's an indication that winter is going to go another six weeks. But if he pops out and he doesn't see his shadow, then spring is coming early. And I, I heard one of the, this past Groundhog Day in February, I heard one of the forecasters talking about this, and he was like, you know, there's not any reason to really put stock in this. And I was like, yeah, no kidding. I don't think anybody really thinks that the groundhog has some insight into the weather. Um, I don't think anybody really thinks that that's a thing. But for some reason, we have this tradition. And so I read a little bit on it, and it turns out this is actually a holiday that we brought over, our ancestors brought over when they immigrated from Europe. And in Europe, there is what's called Candleman's Day. And Candleman's Day was the February 2nd each year, and on February 2nd, if the sun was shining bright, that was an indication that there would be an extra six weeks of winter. And so you needed to go and buy more candles to prepare for the winter while the sun was shining, right? Now, what it sounds like to me is maybe that's just a a holiday that candle makers came up with to sell more candles, kind of like greeting card companies come up with holidays to sell more greeting cards. Um, but that, that, so that idea came over, and so now on February 2nd, if the groundhog pops his head out of the hole and the sun is shining, it casts a shadow, and so that's how we know whether or not winter is going to last longer. Um, right now, I hope that winter doesn't last another six weeks. I hope that it's done and it's over. And we're in that season where it's kind of back and forth. But we're also, right now, we're on the brink of a season that helps us look, toward, look forward six weeks towards Easter. That's what Lent is. Easter is actually seven weeks from today, and that might be hard to, to imagine because it's snowing outside. And it's also, it kind of feels like sometimes Easter sneaks up on us because Easter, the date changes all the time. But Lent is to help us lock in and think about the fact that Easter is coming It's around the corner. And it's 40 days of fasting over those six weeks or so, six and a half weeks, but the Sundays are removed, and so you get 40 days. And that helps us think about, look toward Easter, which is the celebration of Christ dying on the cross and raising from the dead. And the passage of Scripture we're going to look at this morning in John chapter 12, if you want to be turning there, Jesus is doing the same thing. Jesus is looking toward the cross. Now, John is a book that is 20 chapters long, and the later chapters are some of the longest. So we're like just barely halfway through John's account of Jesus' life. But Jesus is already in the last seven days, the last week or so of his life. Now, imagine if somebody was going to tell the whole story of your life 
And half of the story they told was all about the last seven days. That's what the gospel writers do. The gospel writers give us an incredible amount of detail about Jesus' final week. And all of that is because Jesus came for the cross. And so here in this passage, the cross is just, a, is just, just around the corner, but Jesus is already looking toward it and thinking of it. The forecast is clear that Jesus is headed to the cross. Now for us, the forecast is constantly unclear. We don't know if it's really going to snow or how many inches there's going to be, and it'll change six times between now. and. But Jesus knew the forecast was certain. He was headed toward the cross. And he starts to speak of it in a very important way here in this passage. So in John chapter 12, if you want to follow along in the Bible, it'll also be on the screen. I'm going to start reading in verse 23. Some people came to meet Jesus. They wanted to meet him. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now that sounds good, right? The Son of Man is going to be glorified. He's going to be lifted up, right? This is great. But Jesus starts to show us that his glorification is going to be different than what many people might expect. Verse 24, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall he also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. And then Jesus kind of shifts, and he kind of speaks from, he's speaking inwardly. He's talking about what he's feeling in this moment. Verse 27, now my soul is troubled. Has your soul ever been troubled? Has your heart ever been heavy? Jesus says, my heart is heavy. My soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. So Jesus says, what am I going to do? Pray that God saves me from this moment? This is the reason I'm here. And so he prays something else instead. Verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. He doesn't say, save me from this hour. He says, Father, glorify thy name. Then there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice became not because of me, but for your sakes. He's saying, God spoke from heaven, not so I would hear, but so that you would hear. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Verse 33 makes it clear. What does Jesus mean by that? This, he said, signifying the death he should die. Verse 34, the people answered him, We've heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. How sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Right now, we're entering into Lent. It's a time for us to focus on Easter. And Lent has this long history that has passed, been passed down to us from generations of Christians. And it was in the early days, there would be people who would fast for a couple of days before Easter. Maybe they'd fast on Good Friday or they'd fast the Holy Week. But it eventually came a point where it was this long 40-day fast 
that went over the course of six and a half weeks. And the reason for that is that even though it had all of these varying degrees, it was common in the early church and the few hundred years after Jesus lived, that people would get baptized on Easter. They would celebrate Easter by being baptized if they were making that identification with Christ. And the church would encourage people who were candidates for baptism to go through a season of repentance before they were baptized. To go through a season of time where they were making it clear, I am leaving behind my old life to follow Jesus. And baptism is my identification with that repentance, that leaving behind the old. The next reason was at 83.25, there was this gathering of of theologians and believers called the Council of Nicaea. And when that happened, all these things that were happening in different pockets of Christianity, they kind of got spread to other pockets because they saw things that they're doing and things that they're doing that are helpful. And so they became more adopted. And it's not really clear when Lent began to be so extended into 40 days. But we think the reason was this. As the church became more familiar with and comfortable with the message of Easter, became, it became more commonplace, it became more ordinary. They extended the time of fasting to try to make it feel, to make it seem, to make it stick out as something that was incredibly important. Now this is the reason that we're, we're focusing on Lent. Because it is easy for us If we have heard the message of Jesus Christ, we've heard the story of his death, burial, and resurrection, we've celebrated Easter on a regular basis, it is easy for us to lose the significance and meaning of Easter. It is easy for it to become about bunnies and eggs and baskets and all of that stuff, and for us to lose how important it is what Jesus did for us on Good Friday and how he rose victorious over the grave on Easter Sunday. You see, for us right now, if you've been in church a while or you've been familiar with the message of Jesus, Easter is something I say and it doesn't grip our hearts. Easter is something that we say and maybe we say it in even some religious or hushed tones, but it doesn't grab a hold of our hearts and say this changes everything. And Easter does change everything. Right now, we live in a season of life. We live in a culture where everything is so busy. There's constantly something going on. There's always something new to watch. There's always something new to listen to. Uh, We just recently started adding a new uh, series of episodes to the Faith Church podcast, The Debrief. It's a conversation about the message. And and doing that, we're making it available more places. There's a new app for listening to these episodes called Breaker. And one of the things that's unique about Breaker is that it will find any moment of silence in the podcast and skip it. So like just then, when I took a moment, I took a breath between those words, it would skip that so that it would make it faster. And the reason for that is so that you can take in more content. And we live in a world that is constantly speeding everything up so that you can take in more content because there's so much more to take in. And we live in a world and a life where our schedules are full and our lives are busy. And if we're not careful, Easter will come and go and not make any real difference in our lives when in reality, Easter should change everything. Everything. So no matter the the climate, no matter how busy you are, no matter where you're at, whether you're new to faith church or you've been here from the beginning, whether you're new to Christ or you are an old saint, all of us, no matter the climate, we need to focus on 
Easter. We need to focus on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Right now for us, we're in a season of renewal and reaching for zeal and devotion, a season of repentance. Today we're talking about Lent, and it'll kick off on Ash Wednesday, this Wednesday. Next Sunday we'll talk about the need for renewing covenants and rededicating ourselves. On That'll be on the 10th. And then on the 17th it'll be a, a week of revival, and that's a time that we set aside evening services to have special services, special guest speakers come in, and we're giving up more of our time to come and worship with God's people because we need these jolts, we need these, these shocks to our system to get us out of our lethargy to get us out of our apathy, to get us out of just doing the same old, same old and dedicate ourselves to the message of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but it is easy for me to fall into a rut. It's easy for me to fall into just doing the same thing every day. And this helps break us out of that. So Lent is a time that we focus on Easter. And Lent specifically is a season of repentance. And before we can talk about renewal or revival, we need to talk about repentance. Now, the actual meaning of the word Lent, the origin of the word Lent, is it's an old English word. It's shortened from Linton or lengthen. And it was what the old English would use to refer to the time of year when the days start to get longer. Have you noticed it's a little bit brighter when you head to work? Have you noticed that when you get out of work, there's still a little bit of daylight left? Right? I've had conversations with some of you over the last couple of weeks. How encouraging it is that no longer do you go to work in the dark and come home from work in the dark. Right? That is just a dreary and difficult time of year. That when you walk into the factory, it's dark. The sun comes up and goes down while you're in there. And when you come out, it's dark again. And we are looking forward to this time where the sun is shining longer. And we've got more of the daylight. And they talked about Lent in this, 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 this term because it was a time that spring was coming and the days were lengthening. But it's also a time that our hearts begin to warm up. It's a time that there begins to be the springing forth of new and green and everything around us is going through a transformation and everything within us should also be being transformed as well. This passage we read in John 12 is the phase of Jesus' ministry when he's headed towards the cross. It's the end. And Jesus says there in verse 27, My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Save me from this hour, but for this cause I came unto this hour. Jesus came for the purpose of dying on the cross. He was born to die. He lived a perfect life so that he could die a sinner's death for us. He lived a life that he could have as an example to us, but he was living it so that he could go to the death of the cross. Jesus did not come to merely give us some encouraging words. Jesus did not come to establish a new religion. He did not come to to show us the way that we ought to live. All of those things are good, and all of those things happen, but the reason, the purpose that Jesus came was to die on the cross. He says, what will I say? God save me from the hour? This is the hour I came for. This is the reason I am here. Why would I ask the Lord to save me from this? This is the purpose for which I came. And you see, this is important for us to grasp because there can be no Easter without the cross. There can be no resurrection without the death. Just as there can be no spring without the winter, 
There can be no Easter without the cross. The cross was essential. Not only so that Jesus would be dead, so that he could rise again, but so that Jesus could take the punishment that you and I deserve on the cross. You see, the truth is that every one of us, everybody in here, even if your mother, your sweet, dear old mother were here today, I could still say this, all of us are sinners. Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God, and that sin deserves punishment. Our God is a righteous God. He's a merciful God, but also a righteous God, which means that all sin must be punished. And so on the cross, that sin is punished. Jesus takes the sin onto his own shoulders. He went to the cross carrying our sin and our shame so that it could be offloaded from our backs, offloaded from our shoulders and placed on his, and his righteousness is taken off of him and placed on us. Not only was the cross essential for Jesus' resurrection, the cross, his death, is essential for our resurrection. It's essential for us to be raised up into new life. It's essential for us to live beyond the grave. And that's what Jesus is talking about in verse 24. He says, Truly I say unto you, except a grain or a corn or a seed of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Jesus is using the analogy of a seed, of a grain of wheat, saying that if it dies and goes into the ground, it reproduces and gives much grain. If it remains just a seed, that's all that it is, and it abides alone. But if it dies and goes into the ground, it bears much fruit. Jesus is speaking of himself, how that his death will bring about a great resurrection, a reproduction of grace for all of us. For that reason, he says in verse 32, If I be lifted up from the earth... I will draw all men unto me, signifying the death that he would die. Now, when he says that, it doesn't really mean a whole lot to us because the cross is not common in our culture. But if I said something along the lines of, hey, man, if you commit that crime, they'll fry you. Hey, if you do something like that, you'll get the chair. You know that I'm speaking of the electric chair. And the electric chair is not common in our culture today. We don't use it often. We only use it sparingly for the worst and most heinous of crimes. But in Jesus' day, the Romans used the cross all of the time. In fact, when Jesus is crucified on Good Friday, he hangs on a cross between two thieves. Not two murderers, not two rapists, two thieves. Can you imagine if we used the electric chair for everyone who was a thief? For everyone that committed a robbery? It would be all around us. It would, people would be constantly being electrocuted, being put to death in the electric chair. In Jesus' culture, people were constantly being crucified. And for that reason, when he says, if I be lifted up, they know what he's talking about. John MacArthur pointed out that the Jews, the way that they would kill someone, that they would enforce capital punishment is that they would throw someone down and stone them. They would throw them into a pit and people would gather around and throw stones at them. And so it's obvious that Jesus is not speaking of that. He's speaking of being lifted up. And because it's so common, everyone knows what he's talking about, the people respond and say, how can you talk about dying like that? How can you speak of that kind of death? This was a familiar phrase. Everyone knew what Jesus was speaking about. And he was speaking about his death on the cross when he said that he he would be like a grain of wheat. But while he's speaking about his death, he gives us a lesson. Verse 24 says, 
except a seed of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And then he immediately says this, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, my father will honor him. What he's telling us here is that you and I, we can be like that seed. That we do not have to live in a winter that lasts forever. That we do not have to remain this seed that just abides on its own. But rather, we can live in the spring. We can live in the abundant harvest. We can live in that abundant reproduction that he's talking about. He's applying it to our lives. You see, there's a point where if you take a little seed, a little grain of wheat, and you place it in the ground... At some point, it's no longer a seed. At some point, it transforms from being a seed into being a plant. It germinates, and it puts out a root, and it begins to sprout up from the ground, and it's different. And obviously, seeds don't die. They don't have a beating heart that stops, or lungs that quit breathing, or brain waves that quit functioning. But what happens is the seed goes from no longer being a seed to being something else. And for us, when Jesus speaks of dying to self and following Him, it's not that your heart needs to stop beating or that your lungs stop expanding or that your brain waves stop firing. Rather, it means that there comes a point where you cross a line that you were no longer the person that you were. You were a seed, now you were a plant. You were someone else, now you are different. You cross this line where things have changed. And when that seed crosses that line, when that seed is no longer a seed but it is a plant, it becomes something greater. It becomes something more. It becomes something better. And the potential for that was always there. But the destiny, the purpose of a seed is to become a plant. That's the reason that it is produced. So that it can reproduce more seeds, which reproduce more seeds. It is the purpose of the seed. And friend, the same is true for us, that in each of us, we were designed, we were intended, we were destined for relationship with God. That is the potential that is within us. But if we remain a seed all of our lives, that is a total waste. But if we die to that identity, we are no longer a seed. We cross that line where we become something else, something greater, something better, something that we had the potential to be all along. We become who it is that God meant for us to be, who He designed us to be. When we come to Christ, we cross the line into a new identity, a better, a greater identity, one that we were always meant to have. We lose the identity that we've walked in all of our lives. We walk away from the life that we've led so that we can follow Christ. But that that isn't the end of the work. It's only the beginning. For this reason, Jesus said, if any man will be my servant, let him follow me. When the seed crosses that line of no longer being a seed and now being a plant, the work is not done. It's only beginning. There's much growth that needs to happen. There's much production that needs to happen. When we plant corn, it doesn't come forth in a little green leaf above the soil and we say, it's done. No, it's going to grow another six and a half feet and produce corn. And the same is true for us. When we come to Christ, that's not the finish line. We're not done. That's the starting line. 
it's just the beginning of what it is that God wants to do in our hearts and lives. And if we will die to that old self, die to that seed, die to that old nature, and live in Christ, we'll experience this new work that He wishes to begin in us. Here at our church, we use the, the phrases, we, we want everyone to follow Jesus, grow in a group, and serve on a team. And there's a reason that we use the phrase, follow Jesus, instead of some other phrases that we could have used. Sometimes people refer to the, the experience of coming to Christ as getting saved. And that's an appropriate term, because when we come to Christ, we are saved from our sins, saved from the punishment we deserve in hell, saved from the, the judgment that awaits us in the next life. We're saved. But I don't use that phrase because getting saved kind of feels final. And it's just the beginning. And so Jesus says, let him follow me. It is this ongoing experience. It's not the finish line. It's the starting line. It's the beginning of something new. It's transforming from the seed into a plant. And sometimes when people hear this, I think that they're afraid that suddenly they're somebody completely new. And truthfully, they are, but they're still that same person. But God has made all things new about them. When Steve Roberts came to know Christ, it wasn't that he no longer was Steve. It wasn't that he no longer had that personality or that sense of humor. Rather, he had that same potential all along, but God is doing something new and greater in him. And he's happy with the person that he has become, who God has made him. When we come to Christ, it's not that we suddenly have a new personality, but suddenly God has made us better, more, what He's always intended for us to be, and we can have that joy unspeakable that we sang about earlier. Trusting Christ is not the starting line. It's not the finish line, it's the starting line. You know, on the first day of spring, whenever it finally becomes spring, whenever we finally cross that line into the weather is getting warmer every day, when we finally cross that line, We don't receive enough sunlight on the first day of spring that we're good for the rest of the year. That would be a tragedy for our farmers if the only day of sunlight and warmth was the first day of spring. They need it every day for months. They need to increasingly get warmer so that their crops will grow. And if we approach our relationship with Christ as something that all takes place in one day, one moment, we we are destined for failure. It is this ongoing relationship that we have with Him. There is a line that we cross. There is a moment where we are no longer a seed, but we are a plant. There is a moment that we cross on that I am no longer the person that I was. I am someone new, but I need God working in my life every day. Every day. I need Him to lengthen my life, lengthen my heart, lengthen my passion, lengthen my devotion. And that's what happens in this season, in our, in our nature, in our plants, in the weather. Spring begins to lengthen and warm, and God does the same in our hearts. You know, and it's a glorious thing. When some at the very end of their life, on, on their deathbed, in their final days, it is a glorious thing when on their deathbed they can place their faith in Christ and cross that line because they are saved and they are rescued from their sin. It is a wondrous thing, but it is also sad if someone lives in the winter all of their lives and only has one day of spring. We are most blessed when we have the longest amount of spring and summer possible. 
Earlier when I told you to tell someone what your favorite season was, I imagine that most of you said spring or summer or fall. Maybe there are a couple of you that said winter, and that would only be because maybe you love to ski or you love Christmas. But what we live in in our world is an eternal winter with no Christmas and no skiing. C.S. Lewis, in his books, The Chronicles of Narnia, he talks about how because of the spell of evil that overcame Narnia, that it was always winter and never Christmas. And when we live our lives with never crossing that line from being a seed to being a plant, we live our lives never crossing that line from winter to spring. We live that our lives never turning from ourselves to follow Christ. We live a life that is always winter and never Christmas. We live a life that misses out. So how does this happen? Jesus says, die to self and follow me. And the word here is repentance. Repentance means that I was going in one direction and I turned from that direction to go in a new direction. It's a U-turn. You know, and just as in southern Indiana, spring kind of starts and stops and winter tries to make a comeback, there are times in our lives that we turn from our old self and we begin to follow Jesus, but we get sidelined, we get sidetracked. We take two steps forward and one step back. But when we have crossed this line and we have turned from our sin and shame, some of us may move faster than others, but we'll all be headed in the direction of warmer and longer and closer to Christ. Sometimes we move forward and backward, but the overall trend when we have turned from our sin to follow Jesus is that we get closer and closer and closer to Him over time. It doesn't have to stay winter. You don't have to live in an eternal winter. You can experience the spring. I talked to you earlier about Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day is not only a strange holiday that we celebrate, it's also a movie. Bill Murray stars in Groundhog Day, and in Groundhog Day, he is this forecaster who has gone to Puxatawney to see the groundhog, poke his head out of the hole, and he's going to report on it. He doesn't want to go. He hates it there. And the next morning he wakes up and it's Groundhog Day over, all over again. And the, the whole concept of the movie is that he lives the same day again and again and again. Every morning he goes, he, every morning he wakes up and it's Groundhog Day all over again. And in the beginning of the movie, he uses this for his own personal gain. He uses it to take advantage of people. He uses this knowledge of everything that's happening or what's going to happen to take advantage of people to get what he wants, whether it's money or lust, greed, whatever. But eventually he sees the emptiness of this. And there's actually a portion of the movie where he multiple times commits suicide because he doesn't want to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. But every time he commits suicide, he wakes up and it's Groundhog Day all over again. And so eventually he sees that he should use this day to its fullest, live it to its fullest, look for opportunities to help everyone that will be in need on that day in that small town, to look for opportunities to make himself better, to become more compassionate and caring for other people. And over the course, he completely changes, and he is a completely different person. And when he is totally transformed into a completely different person who is no longer selfish, who's no longer living out the day for him, he wakes up, and it's no longer Groundhog Day. And the winter storm that was going on every day is now gone. And he's out of the loop. And he's living a new day. Friend, what I want you to know is that you don't have to live winter over and over and over again. 
you can experience the spring. You can experience a new day. And you'll be made new. And it'll be a new day. If you'll walk away from the life that you're leading and follow Jesus, he'll lead you into a new spring, a new life, a new joy, a new hope. Will you turn from the life you're leading to follow Jesus?